Anyway, so Clooney sees through Sella's, like, false witchery because she's doing a bunch of, like, bullshit to fool less smart minds into thinking that what she's doing is magic when it's just all of her, like, actual, like, medicine, medical skills. And she's very good at what she does. Um, and Clooney can admit that. He's like, yeah, I would be dead if she wasn't here. See, and it's gonna take three weeks for him to heal. Also, I, I just thought of something else. Um, there are a lot of cases where they will find ancient, like, uh, hit, like medical tomes where there will actually be, like, a lot of really good, really sound medical ideas. Um, and the main issue comes in where, like, they'll have, like, okay, uh, make sure to have, like, this copper boiler, but do it under moonlight, stir it three times. Like, they'll have, like, these very specific things you have to do. And they'll say, like, okay, some of these have actual really good medical practices like they didn't know why it worked though so they're like okay well i did this so i need to repeat this every single time to make sure it works and so like a lot of the stuff that we laugh at of like oh they're so superstitious it's like well of course they were because they didn't they didn't know what it was that they did that worked so they're just trying to make sure that whatever worked last time they don't know exactly what it was, so they're just going to do everything the same exact way. And it becomes a ritual. It becomes what we would like to joke and scoff at as magic or superstitious. Because, you know, they didn't know that a brass pot could sanitize itself. All they knew is that if I put this thing in this pot... For, copper pot. Copper pot, thank you. It's like, if I put this thing in this pot for X amount of time, it helps me heal people. So... They just did that and worked with what they knew. They didn't have the scientific method yet, so they were just doing the best they could. I mean, they kind of had the scientific method. It's one of those things, eat this, oh, somebody died, don't eat that. Yes, exactly <laughs> that. <laughs> but yeah, so Sela gives Clooney, like, stuff to help him sleep and take care of his pain, and she is... A hundred percent planning on double crossing him. She plays both sides, and he knows in it. any situation she's in. And he one hundred percent. She sells. Too. Yeah, and Clooney fucking knows. He's like, she's gonna fucking double cross me. So she convinces uh, the guards to let her speak to her son because she wants to be let out to go get some more medicine, su medical supplies. And they're like, no, Clooney said you have to stay here. And she's like, well, then let me talk to my son and get him to go get it for me. He's just in the yard. And they're like, all right, fine. Yeah. And so she starts talking to Chicken Hound and uh, gives him like a scroll of bark that she has written on with charcoal. Uh, Fangburn is completely illiterate, so he cannot read what she's written and just assumes it is actually a list of, like, medicine. Um, and, yeah, no, it's not. It's literally a message for Redwall, like, hey, I have information that I'm willing to sell to you. Um... And she sends uh, her son off. And Sela is flattering uh, Fangburn. And like... She's just like, internally like, ugh. But externally she's like, oh, you're so good at your job. Yeah. And he's like, hey, that's, thanks. <laughs> and Chicken Hound sniggers. 
all the time. Yeah, like these are supposed to be animals that are like, oh, they're they're sneaky thieves and smart and good at subterfuge, and then they're just like snickering and giggling all the time, and I'm just like, why? <laughs> you guys are supposed to be smart. No. What? Never. What? But also... No, all of the vermin have to be stupid in some way. Uh, like, they, the, the, like, he'll talk them up at, like, at their first appearance, like, oh, you know, like, this is Sela, she's so smart and clever, and she's survived so long using her wits and guile. But then, like, not even like a few chapters in, it's like all of that goes out the window because he just, he needs her out of the book. So he just writes her as being stupid. Basically. Time to murder her. Yeah. That doesn't happen yet. Though. Not yet. Um, Chicken Hound starts uh, heading to the Abbey, um, swapping to like a much more relaxed pace and just like, ah, oh, yeah, this is, we're so fucking smart. Hell yeah. Uh, and then we move on. Cornflower. This is where we have an entire fucking page and a half dedicated to Cornflower doing important things for the Abbey. She is literally feeding everybody, including Silent Sam's parents and the Vole family and Basil's stag hair. And she doesn't get a single spoken line. And Basil just calls her pretty. And it's like, motherfucker. Yep. She doesn't say a single thing. It's awful. Not a fucking thing. <sighs> just literally, this poor character is a sexy lamb. Like, Basil's just like, oh, you're gonna be such a great wife someday. Like, it's... <laughs> she doesn't say a single word. Like, literally, at the cornflower sent two of her helpers. You couldn't have her say, like, hey, can y'all go do this? Yeah. Also, Basil has a magical bottomless stomach, as all hares do. This obviously pisses Kid off. I don't like this trope. It bugs me so much. And, like, I know it, it shouldn't... Just, I've never liked this. It's, like, probably one of the big reasons that I, I'm not super fond of the hares. Um, if they're eating their own food, it's fine. Yeah, but they never eat their own food. They're always going after other people's food, which is why it... Because they ate all their food already. Yeah. It's just like, don't like that. Don't like that. Don't like you. It's just... I started eating a piece of candy. Give me a second. How dare you? I'm getting hungry too. I wanted it. With chocolate. You are a grown-ass adult. Listen, my period started. Uh, what the chocolate? Fine. Yeah. Fine. <laughs> anyway. So, Matthias and Methuselah go into this passageway with some lanterns, and they keep wandering around like, it goes down, but as it goes down, it like zigzags, essentially, to help prevent the foundation from just fucking collapsing. Yeah. Um, the air is apparently very chilly, but dry. Um... It's it's been neatly dug. It's shored up with wooden supports, which I guess if it's dry down there, then that's fine. Yeah, like depending on the type of wood they used, it would last for a long time. Um, yeah, it's probably some kind of like a hardwood. Yeah. Um, and again, like 
theoretically down there under the abbey in a dry area, there's not going to be like termites or other insects getting in there. Um, so that wood could, in theory, last for a long time. I mean, time. yeah, because the spiders ate all of them already. That's why there's cobwebs and not spiderwebs. <laughs> right, there you go. Um, they start getting, like, nearly under the Abbey Foundation, and then they come across a door. And in the door, there is another part of the riddle. The same as the steps twixt the hall, remember and look to the center. My password again is Redwall, and that is, you alone are to enter. Now Methuselah's disappointed by that. And I love how, like, <laughs> like he wants to go too. Immediately, Matthias was like, hold up. Hey, if I am Martin, then it's my choice. And I decide you're coming with me. After he says that. After he solves the riddle, though. Yeah, like, he's a little bit of a, a little bit of a turd about it. Because in the door, the door is built of very stout timber. It's banded with iron. Uh, beset with florin spikes, but the door wouldn't open. And so Matthias, like, counts the spikes until he finds the center one, and then he, like, touches it, and the door swings open. Yeah. Um, and he says, come, old friend, we go in together. But the rhyme, Methuselah protested, it says that only you may enter. Matthias answered in a strange, full voice. He seemed to grow in years and stature. I am that is, old one. Martin is Matthias, as my trusted friend and faithful companion. I say that you may enter with me. Methuselah felt himself in the presence of one many times older than he. Lanterns held high, the two mice advanced through the doorway. And, like, that's just from good fucking shit. That's a very good moment. Like, I feel like this is probably why I get so dissatisfied with Matthias's behavior later on. Because we get this great moment right here where he's, he's more. Possessed. Yeah. He is more than what he was. <laughs> he is embodying Martin in this moment. And it's it's very satisfying. And then, like, he mm -hmm. he flips around so often to become just, like, a kid again. That's kind of like, mm. Yeah, it's, it's kind of frustrating. Um, I think that it kind of makes sense because it's, like, Matthias isn't Martin. Yeah. Well... While also being Martin, like... It's kind of your typical reincarnator trope where there are times when he can embody his old self better. But he is still, in many ways, very much a child, so. Yeah. Um, and then we get a, a description of Martin's tomb, which is actually pretty simple. Which I think is fitting. Um, he probably wouldn't want anything fancy. Honestly. Like... A, there's like a stone block in the center of this very like low ceiling chamber. It's a very small room. The block is like carved with like, it's got detailed carvings on it depicting scenes from Martin's life. Uh, de deeds of valor and works of skillful healing. And on top of the stone, lying on top of it, uh, is a stone effigy of Martin. Yeah. And he's clothed in like... Uh, 
a habit of a redwall mouse is very plain with no trimmings. Um, and Methuselah is like, he bears an uncanny resemblance to you, young one. And then as soon as Methuselah speaks, the door behind them clo- like creaks shut. And on the back of it is a shield and a sword belt. Just like, hey, you're here, finally. Yeah, basically. Uh, the shield is is a round, plain shield with a big M emblazoned in the middle. Like, okay, <laughs> Martin. He's about as subtle as a brick. Yeah. I mean, that's been him the entire time. Yeah. Uh, and a sword belt. And the sword belt is, uh, it's pristine. Soft and supple as if it had newly come from the tanner's bench. Shiny black leather with a hanging tab to carry sword and scabbard. Its broad silver buckle gleamed in the lantern light. And I'm just like, magic bullshit. <laughs> Leather doesn't last that long. <laughs> I mean, this, um, th- again, to pull upon Arthurian bullshit, the scabbard is, like, personally, it's like the scabbard is what you want more than the sword because the scabbard can heal any wound. So, did, did you know that yeah. about Excalibur? I did know that. Okay. I did know that. Yeah, yeah. It's like, um, yeah. Matthias puts the belt on and he like also like put, put uh puts the shield on his arm and it all feels like oddly familiar to him uh and behind the shield there is another riddle <laughs> by the moonlight on the hour in my threshold space lay me watch the beam reflect my power unite once more my sword with me I am that is, stand true for all, O warrior mouse, protect Redwall. As in a dream, Matthias gave the door a gentle tug. It opened. By the lantern lights, the two mice made their way back from the lonely chamber, back to the familiar warmth and cheer of Redwall Abbey, back to the hot June noonday sun. Alright, so, moving on. Constance spots Chicken Hound coming. He's waving this little dumb white flag. And she absolutely stonewalls him. Um, would you believe- I'm divorcing you, kid. Would you believe me when I say that actually wasn't meant to be a pun? <laughs> I figured that one was an accident, but I'm still divorcing <laughs> it you. It was an accident, I did not intentionally put that in there. Uh-huh, sure. Sure you did I promise you, on my honor <laughs> but yeah. as a fox. <laughs> on your honor as a fox. <laughs> But yeah, she's having no Your honor as a fox is it. worth more than the written honor of foxes in these books. Yeah. And I love it because, like, Constance is having none of this. She's not letting him in. She is not going to tell the abbot. And she basically, there's this awesome little moment. Like, I'm sorry to steal this from you. I know you're reading. But no, you're good. I love it what she does because she gets him to throw the bark mess, the, the roll message up to her. She then ducks out of view, waits for a little while. And then she pops back into view as if she, like, panting, out of breath, like, as if she'd been running. And she tells Chicken Hound to meet his mom in two days at the old stump in the Mossflower Woods. His mother will know which one. And he starts to sass her. So she says, all right, I'm going to come down and send you on your way. And she starts, like, making stomping noises like she's running down and chicken hound <laughs> books it like this whole act is so good she is so smart she handles this fox all on her own and i love this like i did notice in this book that like 
there's only like one instance where anyone is really shitty to her and it's Methuselah. But like, they stop calling her slow, basically. She's really goddamn smart. She's very smart. She's so competent. But yes. And Chicken Hound... Chicken Hound is smart. Yeah. I'm not going to say he's not smart. He is smart. But he's young, he's inexperienced, uh-huh. and he's full of himself. Yeah, he's cocky. That's what it is. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, she tells Chicken Hound to tell his mother to meet uh, in two days at 10 o'clock at the old stump in Mossflower Woods. Uh, she says that his mother will know the stump. Uh, uh, he gives her some cheek. Because, you know. He's a young turd. He's dumb. Yeah, yeah he's a young little turd. Um, she sends him on away with a threat and another clever trick where she makes it sound like she's running down the steps to go chase him off. So <laughs> and he just fucking, he, he, he just fucking takes off. He is terrified. As he because should be. this is one thing that the, all the foxes know, don't fuck around with badgers. Yeah. Which is true, like. Actual foxes in the wild see a badger and go, <laughs> not today, son, and take off. Especially American badgers. I don't know a whole lot about British badgers. Yeah, American badgers. American badgers look at it, it's just like, I'm going to rip your throat out, bitch. Yeah. Like, I remember seeing a European badger for the first time. I'm like, why is it so cute? I think I've said this before. I did not know that America had badgers for the longest time because I only knew the European ones. Because yeah. when you Google badger what pops up is european mm-hmm. badgers typically mm-hmm. because they're the ideal yeah they're very cute they're nice to look at now granted if an american badger isn't like baring its teeth at you <laughs> they're also cute but but so we're back with matthias matthias is so fucking hungry but at the same time he is just like not there He's, whatsoever. Yeah, Hyper focused. Uh, the abbot like has to come in and like calls him back to the present. Uh, Silent Sam is sitting in Matthias's lap, uh, eating his food. Yeah, and and Silent Sam is admiring the sword belt and like wants his own little like sword. He like runs around on the table like pretending to stab things, and so what Basil does. Is he takes like the threat, like the the threading off of a sandal, and makes Sam like a little belt and gives him like a little dagger. <laughs> this is all... with its own little like dagger sheet, and Sam is just like so fucking pleased, and his parents are like, "Oh, thank you for this this gift. You didn't have to." And Basil's like, "Ah, oh, Tosh." It's it's very <laughs> every young lad needs his own weapon. It's very good and very cute. It is. God, Sam is so... I love Silent Sam. Protect this child at all costs. Yes. Little little guy ready to throw down at the drop of a hat for his friends. I just noticed you wrote the wrong name! <laughs> you what? Cornflower sits down next to him. You wrote Columbine! Damn it, I thought I fixed that! <laughs> no, I thought I went in and fixed that and stupid... <laughs> I wrote Columbine first. I swear I went in and fixed that. And I think I think Google Docs went in and auto-corrected it back to Columbine. 
That's funny. Um, so, but, but Cornflower sits down, like, shares the same seat with Matthias, and Basil proceeds to be kind of gross by chatting her up and talking about how, like, she's worth, to, like, how pretty she is, how much of a good wife she'd be, like, winking at Matthias, like, she's such a good little filly, and she seems to be, like, amused, but I'm over here, like, what? What? It's really gross. Sir? Shut the fuck up. The whole thing is just not, not great. It is not. Um. Eh. Methuselah, though, saves Martin. Martin. Although. Saves Matthias from having to be here still. Well, there's also uh, there's this little bit about Cornflower was making such faces that Matthias was about to silence Basil. Or Basil. I want to say it the the American way, Basil. When Methuselah popped in at the door, so basically Martin probably would have. uh, Matthias probably would have actually said something, (laughs) but didn't have to. Martin Matthias. Martin Matthias. Martin Matthias. Martin. I am. That is. (laughs) Anyway, yeah. So Methuselah like pulls Martin. Okay, you know what? Fuck. Uh, I give up. <laughs> oh! <laughs> Methuselah pulls Matthias out of this conversation. Basil continues to be weird as they leave. And Methuselah is, like, so fucking excited. He has torn apart the entirety of the Gatehouse archive. Like, everywhere. There's just books, scrolls, manuscripts, like, all sorts of fucking paperwork book like he just tosses like the <laughs> tree ties on the bee folk of redwall to the side before he uh, like comes out of an avalanche of paperwork with a little yellowed book and it's sister germaine's literal translation of martin the warrior's abbey blueprints and i'm just over here like did abish germaine write those yep she sure did <laughs> like it's interesting to see how, like, Sister Germaine made the plans for Redwall. Like, Martin definitely helped. Like, everybody definitely helped. Mm-hmm. But, like, she made them up and made them, like, she did all of the, like, blueprinting. But it's credited to Martin. This is something you'll see a lot in fiction. Not, I'm sorry, not in fiction, but, like, in actual mythology and history. Um... Like, if there is a fam- famous or popular figure, a lot of their works will be accredited to them. It's kind of like how, like, a lot of uh, Michelangelo's pieces were actually done by his apprentice and stuff like that. Um, and it's also doubly frustrating because, again, also in history, women are erased all the time. There yep. are so many female figures who are erased from history. Their works are accredited to someone else or just flat out ignored. And there's so much history that we have lost because of that, where, again, like, women are discounted or ignored for the fact that we are women. Um, and uh, I, it's yep. it's very frustrating. And seeing this happen, it, it annoys me because on one hand, it's, it's like, I know he wrote this before he wrote Mossflower, 
But like the in retrospect of him realizing that Martin couldn't have done all these things by himself and then trying to retroactively add in these other characters to take in like the stuff that he couldn't have done by himself. It doesn't work as well because now it feels like Martin is just stealing these people's lives and histories and replacing them with himself. I know he's not trying to do it. This is the people, you know, embellishing his legend. And that's what happens with oral histories. They get embellished and certain things get taken out or added in. But at the same time, it just feels bad. feels bad, man. It really does. It feels real bad. (sighs) And again, this isn't really Martin's fault. He can't control what other people say about him after he passes. But it is not great. I don't know. Considering how active he is in fucking with people. Yeah, like him being like, hey, stop giving me credit for this. Thank the abbess. Without her, this wouldn't exist. You know, it's like, come on, Martin. Step up. (laughs) God. But so they get really, really excited about this because they're trying to figure out, like, where shit, like, they're trying to figure out where the threshold is and all this shit. And, like, as they're, like, freaking out about this uh because they figure out that the gatehouse is the threshold and they just start chanting that uh the the abbot and ambrose wander by hearing the two of them chanting this answer and they trade jokes about like them drinking too much october ale and ambrose is like well, maybe you'll consider giving me the keys someday <laughs> It's like, no, buddy, you're going to drink out. Yeah, it's just like completely ignored. Like, we don't even get a response. Just immediately cut back to the gatehouse. <laughs> yep. Um, so the two riddle seekers decode more of the riddle. Uh, they need to look north from somewhere atop the gatehouse at around 1 a.m. They just aren't sure where exactly to look. Like, they only have a rough idea of the place. Like, they go up there. They start looking around. There's, like, all of this rubble and stuff up there because they had dug a, the trenches in the last part of the book. Uh, and they just put all the rubble up on top of the wall so they could chuck it down at people. Mm-hmm. Um, and Matthias is, like, very annoyed as they keep trying to figure this out. Uh... And Methuselah, who is an old man, understandably falls asleep. And Matthias just has a fit about it. Yeah, he's just like, angrily, Matthias slammed his dagger point deep into the edge of the rubble heap. I told you it was a waste of time. Can't you stay awake for five minutes? Must you go to sleep on me? Uh, and the old mouse awoke with a start. Eh, what's that? Oh, Matthias, there, there you are. Dear me, I must have dropped off for a moment. S- sorry, it won't happen again. And, like, immediately Matthias is not listening because he started digging in the rubble with his dagger because he's found something that's been etched into the stone underneath it. So they have to get the formal to come help them. And, and this is where we get, like, apparently... Of, like, Martin bestowed the title of Formal upon Formal's ancestors. Like, no, he didn't! Formal was Formal before Martin Literally, even Literally, Formal flower. was Formal in Mossflower! <laughs> Bitch! <laughs> Martin! Martin! <laughs> that's illegal! <laughs> like, literally, I was reading that, and out loud I was like, No! 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 <laughs> Like, out loud. I was just like, no! That's not right! <laughs> uh, but so, the moles make short work of the rubble. They basically put it back where it came from into the trench on on their side of the wall that they had dug, just in case if anybody climbed over the wall and jumped down, there were spikes and shit yeah. in it. Um, and they uncover 
A circle cut into the stone. On one side it was cut shallow, while at the opposite side it was carved deeply. The center was domed with two slots graven into either slope. At the apex of the dome was the letter M. Beneath it were carved 13 small circles, each with a smiling face upon it. And Constance comes rambling by. Because they're looking at this and they're like, what in the goddamn fuck? Okay, this is also a case of like, Matthias firmly grasping the stupid stick. Matthias and Methuselah both grasping both ends of the stupid stick. Like, Um, golly gee, what are we supposed to do with this? It's like, gee, I don't know. You just found a round shield. Yeah, so uh, they're studying the carvings. Constance is like, you guys are going to miss tea. There's so many people here, including Basil Staghair. And Matthias is just like, "You, you carry on, Constance. We'll be down shortly. And the badger's natural curiosity was aroused. She came over and stood between the two mice. After a cursory glance, she threw up her paws in mock despair. Oh no, not more puzzles and riddles. Methuselah gave her a severe stare over the top of his glasses. My dear Constance, kindly do not pour scorn on things you know nothing of. Leave it to those with specialized knowledge. Turning to Matthias, the old mouse continued, Yes, most interesting. These thirteen small circles with smiling faces. What do you, what do you make of them? Matthias could only shake his head. He could not think what the circles might mean. Constance interrupted. What? Do you mean those things? They're obviously the 13 full moons of the year. To which Methuselah was distinctly distinctly pink. How do you... Peaked? How do you know that? Explain yourself. Constance scoffed. (laughs) Any badger worth its salt knows all about the moon. You want me to recite all its phases? I can, you know. Just putting that old... Jerk in his place. Mm-hmm. And then, and then, <laughs> Matthias is like running his foot. Like they they talk a little bit more, and Matthias is like running his foot around the edge of the circle. Like because we're not entirely. Sh- they're like we're not sure how we're gonna figure out where the sword is. Um. And and we found a shield, and Constance's like, oh, what type of shield? Uh, pretty much the standard kind used by warriors, Matthias replied, a round steel affair with hand and arm holds. Badger nodded knowingly and continued where Matthias had left off. Yes, I've seen that, uh, that sort of thing before. Not much to look at. In fact, just the type of shield that would fit precisely into this circle. Did you see the slots for the arm holds? But then again, if you look at that carved circle, you notice that it is cut so that the shield would tilt, probably to reflect the moonlight. Both mice stared at the badger. They were... There was awe and respect upon their faces. Now there is. My dudes! (laughs) She's not stupid! She just looks at this and immediately is just like, ah, yeah. Moon phases. Duh. Like, she solves the (laughs) riddle for them. Yeah, she just does it and they're like, well, shit. Yeah, like, oh, sorry. It's like, yeah, you should be. (laughs) I'm just, I, like, in my notes, I was just like, she just figures it out so easily, and, like, really, at this point, these two idiots should know that people have knowledge they fucking don't, and that badgers are warriors. I'm gonna throw hands with these two. Martin would never be so disrespectful. Not only that, but, like, the fact that, like, hey, we're following a riddle quest, and we just found this round shield. Oh, wow, look at this, a round carving. What are we supposed to do with this? And it's just like... Uh, the idiot stick has clonked them both over the head. Oh, yeah. 
It's because they're thinking too hard about yeah. it. Yeah. That's fair. Because the other parts of the quest required a lot of, like, thinking. Mm-hmm. So they're thinking too hard about it, when really the answer is literally in their hands. And, like, uh, to be fair, they do apologize to her, or, or rather they praise her for being intelligent and promise to bring her tea. So they're just like... They, like, bring it up to the wall to her, like, you don't even have to move, we'll bring it up yeah. to you. <laughs> and moving on, we are now back with Clooney, and Clooney is absolutely on Nacella. Uh, she is... She and and her son are just being... Obvious. So obvious. They're whispering and winking at each other, and it's... Y'all... Come on. Yeah. So Clooney stops taking the herbs to help him sleep. Uh, he writes a false plan for invasion on a scrap of paper and, like, sets it up under his pillow so that, like, a corner of the paper is sticking out. Like, his guards wouldn't pay any fucking attention to it, but Sella will zero in on it immediately. Uh, he allows his captains to get drunk. He pretends to take his own medicine while Sella is pretending to get drunk. Uh, and she takes the bait. Uh... He's smug in his knowledge that while the Redwallers prep for a battering ram attack, he will be tunneling under the southern walls. Which is a good idea. Like, that is a good part of, like, siege warfare. You have the main yeah. offense that keeps most of their attention, and then you have the secondary attack, which will actually get you in. Yeah. Like, Clooney knows what he's fucking he doing. Does. He's just also very arrogant. Mm-hmm. So, sometimes he makes mistakes because he thinks that no one will do this very stupid thing. <laughs> and then they proceed to do that stupid thing. <laughs> and it works because he's too arrogant to have planned for the stupid thing. It, it's, um, uh, so, all right. It makes me think of that stupid line from Pirates of the Caribbean. It's like, now you can't trust, you, you can trust a dishonest man because you know he's always going to be dishonest. You can't trust an honest man because you never know when he's going to do something incredibly stupid. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. Um, also, conveniently, forgot to mention this, conveniently, yes. the next full moon, of which they, because they need a full moon to be able to get enough moonlight to do this thing, is the next night. <laughs> and so the next night rolls around, and ev- oh, there's quite a few people awake still with Matthias and Methuselah. They're having, like, a a a dinner, the, the night... The, before they go out and do it, it's like two, what, two hours before they're set to go yeah. out there. Um, and Matthias notices his old friend is nodding off, like, gently offers to send him back to bed. He's soundly rebuffed, and Constance joins in on the fun with some teasing of her own. They all fall into fits of laughter. They are absolutely sleep deprived. Very much so. Uh, and they have their dinners stolen by Basil and Ambrose. Which, I know you don't like that that happened, but it is kind of funny. It's just... I, I, I really dislike, this is the part of the hairs that I really deeply dislike, is the fact that they will take food from anyone. It's like, I can't, like, no creature's stomach is that big. It just, it bugs me. It just bugs me, that's all. I know it's being played for laugh, right, but like, I'm keep not laughing. keep yawning? Holy shit. I'm tired, apparently. I keep yawning. <laughs> Yeah, it's the the trope where the hares are just bottomless pits for food. I'm part of it. I know is because hares and rabbits process food very quickly, yeah. or hares do. Rabbits don't. Rabbits chew cud. Mm. Um, hares though will process food a lot faster. Um, 
So, like, I get it, but also it's bad. So, I understand why you dislike it. Um, but so, the trio goes to the ramparts, and at one in the morning, they set the shield into the carving. It reflects the moon, lighting up the weather vane that's at the highest fucking point of the abbey roof that no one knows how to get to! Also, me being- And they assume- that the sword is, is on the northern arm of it. Also me being a snarky little shit with a lucky for the moon or lucky for them. The moon isn't behind clouds. Lucky for them. The part of the wall survives somehow with no erosion. Lucky just. <laughs> Arthurian bullshit. I know, but I'm still going to be snarky about it. I mean, I'm also snarky in like where they're like, oh, they put the sword in the northern arm of him. Like, hey, Martin, where should we hide your sword for this prophecy riddle? Martin, looking at the highest gable of the abbey and grinning. Yeah. And then like <laughs> the three of them are like stuck in the impasse because they're just like, well, well, shit. Like, how are we supposed to get up there? Because there's. And it's like they're going getting further on in like the morning. I don't think anybody has really slept that mm-hmm. much. <laughs> um. So there's no ladder that's tall enough to reach the weather bane. Constance is like, too bad we don't have like 10 or 20 really tall ladders that we could just tie together to get up there. And like Methuselah snaps it's at her about it. Very shitty to her. Uh, what does he do? Wait. He, he, he's very nasty to her. And he... Let's see... He said, okay, she goes, what a pity we have no, it wasn't. No, it wasn't Methuselah, it was Matthias. Ladders that we could tie together to reach the roof, muttered Constance. Oh, do be quiet, Constance, Matthias grumbled. That must be the tenth time you said that in the last hour. I'm sorry, that was, Matthias was the little turd to her. But then Methuselah, Methuselah is rude to her because she says, sorry, only trying to help, she mumbled. Methuselah pushed his porridge aside. There are only two ways you could help, my friend. One, by keeping silent. Two, by turning yourself into some creature that could climb all the way to that roof. A bird or a squirrel or something. Rude motherfuckers! Mm-hmm. Yeah, but then they figure out, oh, wait, shit, we know some squirrels. Right. <laughs> like, hello? So they ask Mrs. Squirrel, a.k.a. Jess the Squirrel, uh, to climb up there and get it. And... Uh, it's an easy climb. Like, she's absolutely, she is like, fuck yeah. Fuck yeah. Fuck yeah. Um, and, like, she starts climbing, and at first it's an easy climb, but, like, the further up she goes, the harder it gets, because it starts getting steeper. The slates start getting, like, looser and older. Um, and, like, she makes it all the way up to the weather vane, and, like, checks it, and then she's, as she's coming down, she is just attacked by sparrows. Now, I have, like, a really um, big problem with, like, this this whole plot point of the roof is hard to get to. How are they supposed to fucking fix it? Yeah, like, like, one, they had to build the roof to begin with, so they'd have to have access to it. One, to fix like, tiles that they how convoluted it is to get yeah. up there. Like, there would be interior... There would be some way to get up there. Because there, I could not Never. see them being so thorough in building such a great abbey and not having a way to get up to the eaves. Like, it doesn't make sense. This whole plot point just doesn't run very well with me. And I know it's just there to add, like, well, it's really hard to get up there, so they have to be careful. And it's just like, mm, I'm not buying it. Basically, 
Lazy right. Yeah. It's just, it doesn't make sense. Old buildings aren't built like that. Like, they do have to get up to repair stuff. There would be a way up there. Yeah. Like, so how'd they, like, they got the yeah, scaffolding it's... up there, then they had to take the scaffolding down. Did no one think, like, hey, we might have to get back up here to fix this someday? <laughs> I don't know. And I'm also like, why the fuck is the Abbey so tall that Jess turns into a speck? I mean, some some churches and things like that are that big just to be big. Like, you look at, like, the Sagrada Familia or something like that, and it's just big to look big. But that's a church. That's not an abbey. Well, yeah, that's true. I don't know. I don't know. This is still leaning into, like, the abbey is the size feasible for all of these small creatures to use. Also, the creatures are still very small, so the building is huge. Mm -hmm. The size scaling in these books is bad. It's very bad. So, when Jess gets attacked by sparrows, the archers try to help her by shooting at the sparrows to try and scare them off. The abbot specifically says, do not kill them. Um, and they have to do, like, two or three volleys to help her. And she makes it down okay, she doesn't fall or anything, but they do hit a young sparrow in the leg. And that sparrow falls to the ground, and Constance pulls the arrow out with her teeth. Yeah, while she was holding- And traps the bird under a wash basket. Yeah. And she is the first to act in this situation to capture this sparrow. It's just very, very quick. Um, Jess has to report to everybody that the sword is not there. There was a space where a sword would be and some old rusted wire that looks like it may have held something in place, but it's not there. And Matthias gets really angry and frustrated uh, and he takes it out on... The Sparrow, <laughs> whose name is Warbeak. Uh, this is where the story gets really, really gross. Yep, this is where it starts going. This is where it starts going. Because, <sighs> because like, she threatens to kill him. She drops the name. Kill yeah. She drops the name of King Bullspada, and Matthias mocks her. He then stalks off while she's pitching a fit trapped under the basket. And it's just like, like there's there's this whole like the grossness starts right now. Like for one thing, the whole sparrow language, um, the, the 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 sparrow language is missing. It's broken mm -hmm. English essentially, because um, the way that she talks, the captive sparrow fluttered her wings against the upturned basket. I killy you, she chattered angrily at Matthias. I killy mouse, let Warbeak free, you dirty worm. Matthias peered through the cracks at the insulting prisoner. Oh, shut your beak, you little monster, he muttered. You're in no position to kill anyone. Sparrow's venomous temper increased. King Bullspera, he killy you. Make dead quick fast. Matthias laughed mirthlessly. Will he indeed? Will you tell King Thingami if he should bump- If we- If you should bump into him again, that you've met Matthias the warrior, and I don't kill that easily, my bad-tempered little friend. The last statement sent the young sparrow off into a veritable dance of range. Mouse, no friend of Warbeak. Kikili, kikikilit. Matthias tapped the basket with his foot. Listen, Warbeak, if that's your name. You'd better improve your temper, or you'll find yourself without food to eat or any medical attention. So if I were you, I'd sit quietly for a little while and think about that. Matthias spun on his heel and marched off, the enemy sparrow's chirp still ringing in his ears. No want of food. No need attention. Warbeak, Spara, all brave. Kilit. Matthias sighed wearily. There was just no talking to some creatures. 
First of all, that's a war crime. So bad. First of all, that's a war crime. Well, actually, so what I put in the notes was, quote, in quotes, there was no talking to some creatures. Firstly, y'all ventured into their territory. Secondly, y'all shot her with an arrow. Thirdly, you just threatened to war crime her by not feeding her or giving her medical attention if she didn't change her attitude. Uh, My dude! Not just that, but like the way she is speaking, that is a direct bad Native American stereotype. Like, yep. Broken English is a seri- is a negative racist stereotype towards anybody who does not speak English, anyone who is not American or British, mm-hmm. typically. Um, it's been used against, like, uh, Celtic and Scot, uh, people. It's been used against Native people of, uh, Europe. It's been used against Native people of the Americas. Again, basically anyone uh, who's not It's been used against East Asian mm-hmm. people, like, and South Asian people, and people of, like, um, like, Southeast Asia, in, like, the islands and stuff. Like, anybody who just is- is not white and does not speak English. Congratulations, you're gonna have bad English. Yep. People from the various countries in Africa, the indigenous people of Australia, like, it's all very bad and very gross. Very bad. Um, and very, very specifically, we're focusing on the Native American stereotypes here because this is definitely trending more towards that, especially considering that Brian was British. Mm-hmm. Uh, and those are going to be the stereotypes that he would have also focused right. on more. It's what he would have seen like from spaghetti westerns and things like that, which mm-hmm. were fairly popular over in Europe. Yeah. And the United States. And these books got fairly popular with kids here yeah. in the States. So. It's bad. It gets bad. This is a warning as we continue to go forward for the rest of this, essentially the rest of this book, because I believe even after this book, the sparrow pop up yeah. again in the next part. They'll have to, I'm sure. Um, Yeah, this is still a thing. It is going to continue to be bad. It is, in fact, going to get worse, worse. because Matthias is going to continue to commit war crimes. Um. And we get to actually see the Sparrow. So this is a warning to anybody who is listening. You may want to just skip the rest of this and move on to the next book. Because uh, I'm making a grimacing face. It's the grimacing emoji. It just keeps getting bad. Uh, I will try and say something and be like, hi, the rest of these chapters are about Martin being with the sparrows. So you may just want to stop listening for a while. <laughs> Basically, it's atrocious it's, the way he behaves. It's 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 bad and uncomfortable. It's colonialism at its finest, basically. Oh, colonialism and racism. And classism. And classism. But, yeah. Gotta love it. So, we move on from that. All of that. To Clooney and Sella as they continue to play the game of deception. Her using the excuse of finding an herb that she can only find deep in Mossflower Wood to sneak out to meet the Redwallers. He lets her go, but he sends two rats with her. Uh, and when she leaves, Clooney 
hauls himself out of bed. He starts walking around. He's moving very slowly, but he's healing. He mocks Martin's image, uh, knowing that Sella will deliver the false plans to the Abbey. Um, and we cut from that to Sella, and she does not have to do a whole lot to, to make the rats Redtooth and Fangburn absolutely miserable and make them turn on each other. And they just beat the shit out of each other. They're, they are all over each other because they're just stupid and mad at each other for no reason. Mainly because um, like they're they're tired, but I love I love this line here, like, um together the rats crashed into a prickly bush, kicking and biting and pummeling each other. Claws, tails, and teeth came into play. They went at it hammer and tongs for several minutes until Redtooth emerged the victor. I, I love that line, hammer and tongs. It's 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 a fun little like it's moments like these where I really enjoy Brian's writing, where he'll pull out something he knows like how that. Right, he is a good author. It's just there's a lot of tropes and things that he uses that I just really wish uh-huh. he hadn't. And again, I hate hearing people use the excuse, "Oh, it's a product of his time." This shit was known to actively be racist. People just didn't yeah. care. And that's what it is. He should have known better. Should have. Especially writing a story for children. Because you are reinforcing the stere- these ideas that there are people who are worse. Yeah. People who don't deserve the same kind of respect. People who will be violent and stupid and they're not worth your time. And it's like, Stop it. Yeah, just gently, gently, like, sir, stop, stop, stop. Gently takes his ghost by the face. Sir, stop it. (laughs) Um, But yeah, Fangburn is worse for wear at the end of this fight. Uh, And Sella, of course, is just long gone. And they're both like, fuck. (laughs) Boss is gonna kill us. (laughs) And, yep, Sella finds the stump and she is just like, where's the abbot? And then Constance is like, he's not here. And just fucking grabs Sella around the throat. Uh, steals the plans for her. Knocks her out. Uh, just like, fuck you. She's amazing. <laughs> uh, she lures Red Tooth in. And just fucking yeets him. <laughs> His death is brutal, but awesome. Yeah. She yeets him into a tree. And he's just dead. Also... She calls Sella a traitor to the, like, a traitor, and I'm like, how can she be a traitor if the Abbey never accepted her to begin mm-hmm. with? Like, that's not how being a traitor works. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so Constance uh, settles her score with Red Tooth. Uh, also, I get angry about how rats in these books have fangs. Rats don't have fangs. I, I owned rats. I know this for a fact. I, I do think they're just like if a rat doesn't chew their teeth down, it do, their teeth do do get very sharp. Eh. I, I get the feeling like this is probably like an English versus British, uh, English eh. thing going on here. Um, it's it's uh, here's the thing: if a rat doesn't grind their front teeth down, they basically will like hurt themselves right. 
But I, I, they'll grow into their own jaws and stuff like again, that. Uh, so they have to keep them worn down. Like they could sharpen them. Yeah. But even with ones where it's like they describe them as having fangs. Okay, that's fair. Like it's this is a thing. I hate it every fucking time. This is part of why I want us to talk about the goddamn graphic novel. <laughs> Mm, I have to send you, like, some Snapchats of, like, the artwork in it, because it's good, but there are some choices. I'll look on Thriftbooks to see if I can find it. <laughs> Ooh, do, do please, it is very okay. good. Um, but yeah, so, Redtooth wounds Constant uh, enough that, like, she gets a little fucked up, uh, but she wins, she launches him to his tree, uh, to his death. Do we want to read the fight or no, not? No, that's okay. I mean, we could, like, read the end okay. of it, because it's very good. Where, here it Let's is. See. Red Tooth screamed in terror as he felt himself leave the ground to go spinning aloft over the badger's head. With his tail pulled taut and the wind whistling through his fangs, Red Tooth howled as the trees went by in a green blur. Like an athlete throwing the hammer, Constance whirled on her hind legs faster and faster until suddenly she threw her burden with a colossal heave. Red Tooth would have flown a record distance had he not had there not been a stout sycamore tree several yards away. And then Constance tricks um, Fangburn into coming over. Um, and then she hobbles back to Redwall. Uh, Fangburn and Sella see, like, Fangburn comes in as Sella is waking up. And they're both like, what the fuck? And they find Red Tooth's body and they're both like, okay, we need to get our stories straight. And... Uh, and get them straight quick. And they both limp back home. Because they know they are in big trouble. <sighs> yup. Uh, that morning, with false plans in hand, the abbot apologizes to his generals and admits that he was wrong about Clooney not coming back. And he completely washes his hands of the whole thing, leaving it to the generals to plan the salvation of Redwall. Essentially, he's like, I will tend to the wounded. And that is all I will do. I will not have any part of the fighting. And I'm like, on one hand, very smart to stop interfering, but you cannot wash your paws of the violence that will happen on the Abbey grounds and with, like, the violence that his people are causing and the violence that is happening to his yeah. people. He cannot wash his paws of that violence. He wants to, but he can't. It is his Abbey. Yeah. He is the abbot. They are... But alas, nuanced, it, this series is not. Yep. So. they His generals plan for hours. And they're pretty good about it. Like, it's, we don't get, like, a detailed description of them all arguing. They, like, actually make active decisions, settle on ideas, and then they split up. Uh, Basil and Jess take Constance to the infirmary. And Matthias and Methuselah, uh are ambling around in the still sleeping abbey uh for some reason both of them just fucking completely forgot the sparrowhawk story that methuselah told matthias in the first it's part of the book very frustrating uh, like that the sparrowhawk you know told Meth methuselah that the sparrows had stolen something important from uh the abbey um but they turn, like, their talk turns to this, and then, like, this jogs his memory, and they go to the gatehouse to check his records. 
He calls the sparrows primitive savages. Oh, it's awful. He just he's very rude to them. Like he says he says like, like sparrow being an incomprehensible language, and it's like you can speak B. How's yeah? He can speak that fucking bad? B. Yeah, it, Methuselah. So. The old gatehouse keeper leaned upon the young mouse's arm as they walked along, talking of this and that. Eventually, the conversation came around to the sparrow's attack upon Jess. Methuselah shook a warning paw. Extremely dangerous birds, sparrows. Very warlike and quarrelsome. Luckily, they keep to themselves and will only attack if their territory is intruded upon, as you saw today. Hey, why didn't you tell them that? Right? Like, hello, wave a By white the way, flag. Did like, you see- hey, we need to go up and check something. Yeah. And like Matthias tells him that like uh uh the the sparrow that they caught uh, told him that her name is Warbeak and Methuselah was taken aback. Do you mean to tell me you've talked with her? Remarkable. The sparrow language or spara as it is called is very difficult to comprehend. Well, I don't know," said Matthias casually. "I didn't find it too hard, and at least the little hooligan seems to understand what I'm saying to her." Fucking fight. First of all, first of all, first of all. Matthias, why can't you understand mole speak? If you can understand Spara. Second of all, Methuselah, you can speak B! Just you can speak ah. B, you asshole. Yeah, so they go they go to the gatehouse because it jogs his memory, and this hawk talked of the sparrows. She called them winged mice, though for the life of me, I cannot see any comparison between highly civilized mice and those primitive savages. I fight you, old man. Point was, though, this sparrow hawk said she'd been told that the sparrows once stole an object of great value to our abbey. She didn't say what it was. I thought the bird was merely trying to impress me with idle gossip. I should have questioned her further. We may have found out just what the object was. This is once again. And they're like, could it have been the sword? Maybe. Who knows? We should try and see. Oh god. And then he And they went they go they go to trick Warbeak into telling them about this. And Methuselah has Martin's Matthias's dagger, and he taps on the basket sharply with the blade of the dagger, and Warbeak uh we had been caught napping. She came to life in an irate mood. Worms. All worms, you old mouse worm. Stay away. We're beat killy. Methuselah tried his level best to act tough. Be silent, you little baggage, or I'll spike you on this dagger, and your king too if he dares to come down. In a fury, Warbeak smashed her small body against the side of the basket, causing the old mouse to take a step back. Ha! Huh, go on. You killy Warbeak with dagger. Wait, see. You not get King Bull Sparrow with little worm knife. King have a big sword. Chop all mouses up. Killy pretty quick, you betcha. Like, motherfucker, it's... Why? Also, war crimes! It's just... It's, it's gross. It doesn't get better! It doesn't get better! Doesn't. I'm, I'm sorry that the vast majority of this recording is both of us just going, what the actual goddamn fuck? I mean, I feel like it'll get better once we get past uh, Matthias. Um, we'll get to that. Like... Once we actually get to the court, yeah, Math- we need to. We need to. gets a big heaping helping let's... of humble pie, but he's still a dick. Yeah, so now we're back with Clooney, and he's just propped up on some pillows, watching Sella and Fangburn do their best to lie to him, and they do such a bad job about it. Um, 
I like, I, I make a note, like, where's that clever fox we've been told of? She's supposedly, she's supposed to be sly enough to have been doing this for years, to which you responded with, in her defense, she probably has a concussion. And it's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> she did get bludgeoned <laughs> by a badger. She has to work with Fangburn. She has to work with Fangburn. Who is suffering from the rodents are idiots severely. Yep. Uh, he throws a beaker at them and writes off Red Tooth without too much worry because he's just like, whatever, this is fine. And then the adder finds Red Tooth's body and gleefully consumes it. Read your note. <laughs> Deus ex snackina. I'm divorcing you. <laughs> I told you I'm going to do it for every recording. <laughs> <laughs> listening. If you like this podcast, please be sure to follow us on Twitter at Abbey Archives. And if you'd like to read along with us, join our Discord, linked in the description below. You can also follow our parent podcast at Hope's Hearth Pod. Remember to wash your paws like good dibbins and take care of yourselves. Bye!